Thanks, everybody. My name is Jim, by the way, if you're new. Welcome. Glad that you're here at Celebration Bible Church on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. Um, before we jump into the sermon, I have an obligation to Sue Wiley. Uh, in your bulletin on the second page, on the inside page, uh, there is a little thing about the Harvest Party. We love the Harvest Party. It's an exciting ministry that we have every year that we open our doors to the community and bring them in. But the Harvest Party only happens uh, when we all do it together. And so there, there are some specific things that we need. Uh, and we would love it if you want to be a part of this and to join us and to help us out. So there's a little envelope in the back there. If you could check one of those things that you could do, whether it's bringing candy or coming to help in the games or baking brownies, um, there's disposable trays for the brownies, so you don't even have to worry about us not giving you your pan back, because uh, you can take ours and throw it away. Uh, but take a second and fill that out. We'd love for you to join us and uh, be a part of the Harvest Party, and you can drop it in the envelope in the back. While you're doing that, uh, turn to Philippians 3. We're back in our Philippians series. I know you've been longing for this day for so many months. We spent uh, two months in the spring going through Philippians 1 and 2. We have a couple people coming down the aisles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They will give you one free. Um, We spent a couple months in Philippians doing chapters 1 and 2, and now we're back, and we're going to finish three and four over the next seven weeks. And I am super excited about this. Um, I love just preaching through the text. And so this is, uh, this is what we're going to do today. So we're going to be jumping right into the middle of this book. Um, we'll do some background stuff later, but for now we're just going to get into it and we'll, uh, we'll see where, where we end up. So we're going to start in Philippians 3. We're going to do verses 1 through 11 today. Let's uh, have a word of prayer before we start. God, as we open up your word this morning, uh, we do so uh, affirming that these words are powerful. These scriptures can shape us uh, and can hurt us at times, but ultimately uh, bring life. And so we just pray that as uh, we go into your scriptures, that we do so uh, with anticipation that you will move in a powerful way. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the life-changing truth in these scriptures. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. Let's just start in verse 1 and and get into it. So Paul is writing, and he says this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble uh, for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Then verse 2 says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Okay, let's just stop right there. Uh, That nice, encouraging word from Paul. Um, Without really even digging into what he's talking about here or who he's talking about here, um, one thing is pretty clear. If Paul refers to somebody as a dog, an evildoer, and a mutilator of the flesh, um, there's a good chance that he's not a big fan of these people. Um, For some reason or another, whoever he's talking about here uh, have made it onto his naughty list, and, and he's really not a big fan of these people. So, uh, the way that this is even written in the Greek, we kind of miss some of the, the power that's in this. Because in the Greek, uh, these words all sound similar. They all start with the same sound. And so it has this really strong, almost like sing-song-like power to it, where Paul is saying, watch out for these people. Don't let them around. Don't let them into what you're doing. So Paul doesn't like these guys. <laughs> evildoers, dogs, mutilators of the flesh. And so the question is, 
Who is he talking about? What is Paul getting at? What is the thing that has got Paul so worked up here? As we keep moving, um, it starts to make a little bit more sense. In verse 3 it says this, For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, let's sit here for a second. Um, <laughs> it took me a little, a little while to figure this out. There are some like, things, whatever your profession is, you can talk with other people who do the same thing as you, and you can talk about these subjects or use these words, and it's totally fine amongst people who do the same thing that you do. But as soon as you talk to someone else who doesn't work where you work, like if Steve Wentz started talking to me about insurance, I would like glaze over, and I do that anyways, but uh, <laughs> there's, there's certain things that within your context, it's really okay to talk about this stuff, but once you get outside of it, it becomes kind of weird. Uh, it took me a while <laughs> before I realized that uh, as somebody who works with the scriptures, it's not really that normal of a thing to talk about circumcision all the time. That's not really a normal topic of conversation that we have. Yet, within the Scriptures, the New Testament and the Old Testament, this is a really prominent theme. So why is it that the authors of the Bible are so worked up about this idea of circumcision, and especially Paul? If you read this letter, if you read his letter to the Galatians, he talks about it a lot, and it's like, what is going on here? This is, it's kind of weird, and there's a really big deal here. Where well, this actually goes way back uh, to the times of the Old Testament. Um, for many, many generations, God uh, was working through the nation of Israel. This people, this ethnic group, were essentially the intersection that connected God to the rest of humanity, to all of humanity. And so everyone was invited to come to God, to know God, to, to, to get the healing and the power that comes through God. Yet, for many, many generations, the way that that happened is people would go to this nation of Israel, and through that would then be connected to God. And so if you were an Israelite during this time, this would be something you would be really proud of, right? Because you were the chosen people. You were the ones that God said, I want you to be the center of what I'm doing in the world. And so you'd be really proud of that. And as part of that calling, uh, God gave them some symbols to represent this promise or to represent this covenant that they would be the chosen people. One of these signs of the covenant was circumcision. And so for the Jews living in this time in which they were the people of God, they were the intersection, all of humanity came through them, uh, they they bore this mark of circumcision with pride because it was a symbol that they were chosen. It was a symbol that, yes, we are the people of God. And so this is all well and good. But a few years before Paul writes this letter, uh, something pretty powerful happens. God, uh, in some form of a mystery, says to Paul, hey, check this out. Um, this whole Israel as the intersection thing, I'm going to put that on hold for a while. And now, I'm still going to let everybody come to me, but I'm going to let them come to me just as they are. So if you're a Greek, you don't have to go through Israel to get to God. Uh, if you're a Philippian, you don't have to go through Israel to get to God. If you're from Holland, you don't have to go to Israel to get to God. But all people exactly where they are, without any regard to ethnicity, are able to come 
directly to God without going through this intersection of Israel. And so what that means is that some of the things that were once this really prominent sign of, yes, we have these symbols and that marks that we are in, and if you don't have that, then you're not in, suddenly those things become a lot less important, right? If Israel is no longer the only way that people can get through God, then the marks, the symbols that say whether or not you are in or out of Israel become a little bit less important. So some of these things that Israel once really uh, were proud of, their food laws, the the things that they ate that were clean and unclean, their circumcision, uh, their Sabbath, their uh, keeping of the Sabbath, their worshiping at the temple, these things that once marked the boundaries of whether or not you were in or whether you were out suddenly became a lot less important. But in the early Christian church, Uh, This was a hard concept for some people to fully wrap their minds around, especially some of these people who come from this background of Judaism, where for so long they prided themselves on these marks or these signs of these covenants. Now for Paul to be saying, hey, those things are no longer necessary or no longer important, this was really hard for them to wrap their minds around. And some of them just didn't even try. Uh, Some of these, these Christians, or Paul often refers to them as Judaizers, would come into these Christian churches uh, and would say, hey, I'm glad that you've put your faith in Christ. That's awesome. I'm glad that Jesus is the way that you are now accessing God. But you know what? If you really believed, if you truly had faith, if you were really part of the people of God, you would also do these other things, this circumcision, maybe even not eating certain foods. You would also perform these ceremonial washings just to show and to prove that you were in. And so this is one of the major conflicts within the early first century church. That God was saying, now you can come to me just as you are. You don't have to do these rituals. This isn't a part of it anymore. These aren't that important. And God is saying, come to me as you are. Yet there would be people within the church saying, yeah, but you also have to do this. Which sounds fine, but let's think of it this way. You're a Philippian, right? You have no history with the Jewish faith. Uh, but there are some people that you've met in the marketplace, and they begin to talk to you about this Jesus character. They have to begin to tell you about the forgiveness that he offers, the hope that he offers, uh, the future that he offers, but also the present life change that is in faith in Jesus. And you're like, oh yeah, I want this. That sounds good. And so you begin to step slowly towards the Christian faith until suddenly somebody comes up to you and says, oh, hey, I'm glad that you're at our church. I'm glad that you've come to our little house meeting. I'm glad that you're having this meal. Um, Are you uh, circumcised, though? And for an adult (laughs) to be asked that question uh, would be kind of awkward, but then to say no and have that person say, well, you know, if you really want to be part of what we're doing here, if you really want to be a part of the people of God this is really important. At that point, if I'm that person, (laughs) I'm saying, well, you know, I like this whole Jesus thing, but Zeus is not that bad, and I'm just going to head on down the street to the temple of Zeus, right? And so this is driving people away. This is keeping people from coming to the gospel because these roadblocks are these barriers that these people are putting up. Paul has such a heart to see people from all over the world come to a saving, forgiving, graceful knowledge of who Jesus is. That he is so worked up. 
that there would any, be anybody that would put a roadblock or a barrier in between them. And so he says, watch out for these people, these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh. That word, that phrase uh, has a lot more meaning now when we know the context, right? These mutilators of the flesh, watch out for them because we, we are the ones who are truly the people of God. So we don't put confidence in the flesh, but then verse 4 he says this, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Now he's going to go on here uh, to list uh, some of the qualifications that he has. And there's some really cool stuff in here, and, and I wish we could take some time breaking down each one of these. In fact, next week we'll do a little bit of that. But what I want us to understand here uh, is it's not necessarily all the details of these things that Paul's going to list. But what's important here is that we realize that one of the reasons that Paul is so worked up about these people who are coming in and saying, hey, you have to have these things in order to be in. One of the reasons that Paul is so worked up about that is because he was that guy. It wasn't that long ago that Paul himself was one of these people that said, well, if you're not doing all of these things, you're not truly one of us. Uh, As a Jew, which was kind of in a different world, a different era than what's happening now, Paul would still be like, yeah, if, if you don't match up to these qualifications, maybe you have faith, but you're on a whole different plane than me. This was who Paul was, and he recognizes this, this is who he was. And I think to some degree, Paul has a lot of maybe regret or remorse uh, for what he was. And so he says all these things. If, if someone else, this is the middle of verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So again, there's a lot of stuff in there. But at the heart of it, Paul is saying, uh, if the Jewish people are the ones who are truly uh, the real, real, real people of God during this time and age, I am the most of the most, right? Paul can even trace back his tribe, which was not common for people in the first century. When Israel was uh, dispersed and destroyed by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, Much of the tribe, uh, the tribe identification got lost, yet Paul can say, hey, look, I can not only trace my tribe, but I can trace my tribe back to Benjamin. What's significant about Benjamin? The first king of Israel was a guy named Saul. Paul's name is also Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. Saul was a Benjamite. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, I'm from the line. (laughs) I'm the man. I have all of this stuff. I have all of these qualifications. But, when we get into verse 7 here, uh, we read what I think is one of the most raw, emotional, um, just really authentic statements that Paul makes in the Bible. As he's looking back at his past, he says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now let's finish in verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ 
Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is really emotional response. As Paul looks back at where he has been, as he hears about these people who are trying to infiltrate the Philippian church that are trying to say, hey, your faith is good, but you also need to, to, to stack up these rituals. You also need to do these things. You also have these qualifications you need to meet. Paul is reminded as he hears about those people that that's who he was. And as he looks back on who he was, he says, you know what? <laughs> I would take all of that, all of these things that made me the top of the list, all of these things that put me in this category, all of these things that made me elite, I would willingly take all of that stuff, and I have willingly taken all of that stuff and thrown it in the rubbish bin. <laughs> it's garbage because it doesn't mean anything. I would trade all of that for something better, for knowledge of Jesus, but ultimately uh, for the the grace that comes through him. Now, I want to I want to sit here as as we kind of finish up, because I think sometimes when we read passages like this, if you've grown up in the church or you've been to you know you grew, went to a Christian school or something like that, a lot of times we use Paul's letters as like a textbook, right? We use them to learn about all this theology, and there's this great deep theological thought and meaning in Paul's letters, and that's totally true, right? We do that all the time. This is one of our major sources from learning, for learning about the Christian faith and how it works in the ins and the outs. But I think sometimes, uh, maybe Paul's letters are not just theological discourse, but they're also an emotional uh, response to the things that he's learning and he's experiencing. So there's both, and I want to talk about the both. So let's first talk about this at a theological level. Because what Paul is saying here, that all of these things, all of these rituals, all of these things that people are think that they think that they're doing that are bringing them closer to God or making them a better Christian or maybe the things that are keeping them in the faith, Paul is saying all of those things are actually worthless. What Paul is saying here is that if you Philippians and you Granvillians, if you think at all, that any of the things that you have done in the past, any of the rituals that you have participated in, if you think that at all, those are the things that are making you part of the people of God, you are wrong. If you think that there's anything that you have done in the past, any action, any ritual, any work that you have done, and you think of that, you hold on to that, and say, well, this is why I'm a believer. This is why I'm a Christian. This is why I am saved. If you think that there's anything, any ritual, any act that you have done that makes you saved, you're wrong. This is what Paul is saying, and this uh, hopefully is not challenging to many of us, but I think I know well enough that when we talk about this stuff, there's, there's maybe some mixed understandings, and so I don't want to be guilty of just skimming over them and say, well, you all know that you're saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast, right? Because we do know that. But I think what Paul would also say here is even if you are saved by grace, yet you also think that you're a little bit saved by works. <laughs> if you even are trusting in your works or your rituals just a little bit, 
you are trusting in works all the bit. All the, that's not a thing. All the way, right? <laughs> even if your faith is just a little bit in the things that you have done, even if those are just the parachute, just in case this whole salvation by grace and faith thing is not true, I still have these rituals and these works just in case. If that's how you think, I'm sorry, <laughs> the challenge of Scripture is that that's not how it works. Maybe you're in here today and you look back at your life and you look back at your history, maybe you look at your present situation and to some degree you're not simply hanging your salvation on the work of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but you're hanging it on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and this thing I did when I was seven or 15 or when I was first you know, born. If that's the thing that you think is saving you, Paul would say, take it, crumple it up into a nice small ball, and place it gently into the rubbish bin. Because that isn't it. Paul's saying, I would trade all of that for simply the knowledge of who Christ is. There's an Instagram account that is super famous. I'm sure many of you who have Instagram follow it called Humans of New York. Um, Humans of New York uh, is this guy who walks around the streets of New York and takes pictures of people and has them tell a little bit about their story. Uh, Every single time you read one of these things, it can be, you know, it's just a short little paragraph, but every time you read one of these, you're going to have an emotional response to it. You're going to be heartbroken. You're going to laugh. You're going to be provoked in some way. It's just a beautiful way of telling these stories. This one came across um, last night. And I just want to share it. He says this. This is this guy in this picture here. And he's, he's t- telling about himself. He says, Not long ago, it looked like I was about to get everything. I was one of the first employees at a company that sold for a billion dollars. So I started a new company, and everything seemed to be going perfectly. But suddenly, everything came apart. This has been the toughest year of my adult life. I went bankrupt, my company failed, and the person I was in love with died. I didn't commit suicide though I considered it. But my ideas of myself have definitely died. Check this out. I thought I was better than everyone. I saw my success as the culmination of all my positive merits. Losing everything forced me to realize how much of my good fortune was due to things that had been given to me. Okay, so this is a guy talking about his business and his life and and all of these things. But I wonder... If we can ever see ourselves in his story from a spiritual faith standpoint, uh, have you ever thought that the position that you're in has anything to do with your merits, the good things that you have done, or the good things that your parents helped you do, or the, the, the pedigree that you come from? Is there in any way that you resonate with this. Because this is what this guy says, and this is what is true for us as well. It wasn't until he lost everything that he was forced to realize that the reason he is where he is is because he was given something. We've talked in a really negative tone, right, (laughs) so far. But the, the opposite side of that negativity, the opposite side of recognizing that all the ritual and the things and the acts are rubbish is the fact that it's okay that that's all rubbish because 
There's something bigger and better that has been given to you. And you can take those things and you can have done them and you can be great and that can be a part of your past, yet the opportunity and the offer is constantly on the table for you to put your faith, simply faith, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this uh, is what Paul is getting at here. However, we don't want to leave it just at this theological level because I think that perhaps there's something else going on here too. Uh, Something more visceral, something more emotional, something more authentic as Paul begins to look back at his life. It is possible for you to do all of the right Christian things. It's possible for me to do all of the right Christian things, right? It's possible to be regular church attenders, regular church givers, regular prayers perhaps even. Um, It's possible for us to do all of the right things, for us to take communion on time, for us to have been baptized at the right time, for us to have done all of these things. It's possible to have done all all of these things, and still not fully know the God that you're claiming to run to. I know this because to some degree this was my story. I grew up in a Christian home. No, I grew up in a pastor's home, right? So this is like, I was in deep. We were at church at least three times every week, and that was on a slow week, right? Constantly at church, constantly inundated with Scripture, and constantly around the Christian faith. This was just part of my identity. I'm sure there's some of you out there who can resonate with this, and this was how you grew up too. Brian, I know you grew up like this too. Uh, It's real possible uh, because I was there, yet it wasn't really until my late teens that I started to really take this Christian faith that had been a part of my life and begin to actually understand and know what it meant in my life. And then it wasn't until later in college that I really began to take this Christian thing that I had been doing my whole life and began to really know what it meant. And then it wasn't until, right, it's this process. If You can do all of the right things. Perhaps you do all of the right things. Perhaps you're here every Sunday. Perhaps you're here even on Wednesday nights. Perhaps you pray with your kids. But is it possible that you've done all the right things, but you don't really know in the same way that Paul is talking about knowing? Is it possible that you've ticked all the boxes, yet you still don't have this very visceral, real, emotional knowledge and understanding of the gospel. For me, what it took was finally getting to the place where I began to understand uh, that my Christian experience didn't just happen on a Sunday. My faith wasn't just for when I was at church. My faith wasn't just for when I was praying. My faith wasn't just for when I was doing the Christian things. But it took me a while to begin to realize how the gospel begins to seep into every single part of who I am. When I began to realize that the words of Jesus and the message of hope and forgiveness and reconciliation is not just about when I come to church on Sunday and I can recite those things, but that's about when I interact with people at school. That's about how I respond to those who are above me at work. When I began to realize that my faith impacted not when I was here at church, but every part of who I was. And that finally 
began to happen. Like Paul, I began to move from that place of doing all the right things and having all the right Christian uh, boxes marked. I began to move from that into this reality of actually knowing the gospel and actually knowing the power of the resurrection. I bet there's a lot of us in this room maybe feel like we've always kind of missed that connection. We read about Paul here talking about knowing, and we're like, well, yeah, that's great for him. He's Paul. He wrote the Bible. I'm just, you know, doing church. And that's good. We want you to do church. We want you to be here. We want, we want you to be part of this community. But until you begin to realize that your faith is not just about when you're at church or when you're praying or when you're reading the Bible, but your faith dictates everything about who you are. It's not until you can do that that you can finally begin to step like Paul does from the doing to the knowing. So there's two levels here that Paul is hitting us. This theological level. If you think that your salvation in any small, tiny way is coming from the things that you have done, you're wrong. But the good news is... (laughs) Uh, you don't have to be wrong. You can, this very moment, put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and take your faith off of those things that you've done. I don't want to assume that anybody in here has never even done that to begin with. Uh, if that's you and you're at a place where you're thinking and you're uh, examining and you're letting the Scriptures kind of hit you, keep doing that. Maybe today's the day that you put your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I'd love to talk to you more about that if that's the case. But even for some of us who have been Christians for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, have you actually moved from the doing to the knowing? Is your faith in any way hung on any sort of ritual or work that you have done or are doing? If so, you need to rethink what the Gospel actually says. You need to reread what Philippians actually says. But then on the emotional side, maybe that's not the issue for you. Maybe it's not the faith that you've put in works over actions, but maybe your Christian life is simply this routine, this, this continuous series of actions and rituals and doings. And all those things are good. And if you need to, keep ritually doing those things. However, at what point does it stop there? At what point is the gospel calling you to infiltrate that stuff and take that out of this seat on a Sunday morning and take it out of a Wednesday night and take it out of your time in prayer or your time in Scripture? At what point does it, the gospel call you to stop doing and start on a very real level knowing? I think that's a challenge for us to continue to do, and I think it's something that we all uh, are in this process of learning and growing and moving into that. And like I said, Uh, I'm still on that process and I'm still on that journey of bringing that to my life on a very real basis. And so do it. Uh, Make that part of who you are. Do the hard work of moving beyond your seat on Sunday and bringing your faith into everything that you are. Let's pray. God, as we've reflected on your words this morning, um, we recognize... uh, how easy it is uh, to become people who are maybe just complacent with the doings, uh, that we don't do the hard work of knowing. God, help us to be people who are 
actively pursuing this knowledge of your resurrection that Paul uh, is journeying towards as well. God, I also pray that if, there are any, if there's anyone in here who to some degree has been convicted this morning from your Scriptures, that their faith is being placed not in you, uh, but in any sort of ritual or action. God, I pray that you keep that challenge in front of them and that you help them to work to a place where they can truly say that their faith is dependent not on anything that has been done because that's all garbage compared to the true knowledge and the grace and the mercy that comes in simply saying, I believe that what Jesus did was enough. I believe that what the Gospel says is enough. There's nothing I can or need to add in order to boost that. So help us to, be, again, be challenged by our Scriptures. God, help this to not be the end of our time reflecting on this, but help this to just be the beginning. As we leave this place, wrestle with us, challenge us, uh, bring people into our lives that annoy us until we think about these things in a very real and challenging way. We pray all of these things in your forgiving, life-giving, and fully complete name. Amen. Grace be with you.